get our Bibles out, Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. It's good to see our Texas Tech fans here today. I was praying for you the other day. Luke chapter 9. And we're going to be in reading here. Let's stand together. Luke chapter 9, verse 51. says there, and it came to pass when the time was come that he should be received up, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem and sent messengers before his face. And they went and entered into a village of Samaritans to make ready for him. And they did not receive him because his face was as though he would go to Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, Wilt thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them even as Elias did? But he turned and rebuked them and said, Ye know not what manner of spirit ye are of. For the Son of Man has not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. They were looking here at this passage of scripture and the, the, the title for today's message is Living for a Purpose living for a purpose. Let's pray. Lord, we love you, God. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness, and I pray, God, today that you would speak to us. I pray that you'd be with me as I preach. I'll be with this dear group of people today, and I pray that you would just give us exactly what you have for us from your word. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I believe every person to walk the face of this earth desires a purpose. There was a man named Henry that was one of those men that never met a stranger, and as he would talk to people, In all his conversations, he would ask this particular question to everyone he would talk to, and it wasn't the normal, uh, what do you do, or or how how many kids do you have, what's your occupation, it was, what have you done that you believe in and that you are proud of? And as it was a different question than people were used to hear, sometimes this unsettling question would bring some to silence, or would cause some to begin to talk about their their wealth or their, their family or this exalted job title and their self-esteem would drop when they realize that's still not a whole lot just to be proud of, proud of or believe in. It's just doing things for myself. And he'd receive many different answers. Some people would be stumped. Some people would quickly answer. And he was delighted by a woman who answered, I'm doing a good job raising my three children. That was her purpose. There was a builder that said, I believe in good workmanship. And I, 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 I practice it. I try to improve and be the best I can be there. That's my purpose. Another woman, she said, I started a bookstore, and the, it's the best bookstore for miles around. And this man, as he told, told us about this question that he asked, he said, I don't really care how they answer. I just want to put the thought into their mind. He said, they should live their lives in such a way that they can have a good answer. Not a good answer for me, but for themselves. That's what's important. You know, many people look to purpose in life to make their life feel complete, don't they? Many different purposes that people have bring happiness or different pleasure, but there's only one purpose this morning that's eternal. There's only one relationship that never changes. And there's a relationship that can make a life complete, and without that relationship, there is a void in the heart of every person walking the face of this earth, a, a vacuum in that life. And many people, even though they could be well-known, can speak of that void. I don't know how many people know the name H.G. Wells. He's a famous historian and philosopher. And at the age of 61, he said, I have no peace. All life is at the end of the tether. The poet Byron, he said, my days are in yellow leaf. The flowers and fruits of life are gone. The worm and the canker and the grief are mine alone. The writer Thoreau, he said, most men 
live lives of quiet desperation. Some of you may recognize the name Ralph Barton. He was one of the top cartoonists ever. He left a note pinned to his pillow the day he took his own life, and he said this, I have had few difficulties, many friends, great successes. I have gone from wife to wife, from house to house, visited great countries of the world, but I am fed up with inventing devices to fill up 24 hours of the day. It's people whose purpose brought nothing for them. Billy Sunday said, more men fail through lack of purpose than lack of talent. And as we look at Jesus here, Jesus' life was not glamorous, was it? He was actually traveling to Jerusalem in this text, and we find him coming into Samaria looking just for a place to stay for the night, and nobody wanted him around. And Jesus, even though we look at everything happening, the situation here, Jesus came to this world with a purpose. We spoke of in the book of Luke as we, as we get to this book of most, most Sunday mornings and we understand Jesus came, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That was his purpose for coming. As we begin this text today, the first thing we see is the determination of Jesus. I want to draw your attention here to verse 51, that word steadfastly. He steadfastly went, he was determined. And he was determined, first of all, because of the time. It says, and it came to pass when the time was come. And it came to pass when that, a certain time was complete or a certain time was fulfilled. As we look at Jesus here in chapter 9, a, this, a certain season of his ministry is closing. And this is a new stage in the ministry of Jesus. And I don't know about you, but I've greatly enjoyed this journey through Luke as we get to know more about Jesus from week to week. And from the moment we were in the middle of chapter 4, verse 14, to chapter 9, verse 50, Jesus was mainly being described to be in the ministry in Galilee. And we've seen him be able to reveal himself in, in different amounts from time to time to be the Messiah. But now this new division of ministry is beginning for Jesus. He's been establishing his power. He's been establishing his authority. He's been performing signs and wonders. He had been healing people, casting out demons. He had been calming the sea. He'd been raising the dead, placing a priority on preaching and teaching. But now we find Jesus determined at this specific time to head to Jerusalem to begin the completion of the work of redemption. He's concerned with the salvation of souls and his time is quickly approaching. We know Jesus came for a short time, didn't he? We're beginning the, the Christmas season as Thanksgiving is, is finished here. And we understand that's a specific time that Jesus came to this world. And Galatians chapter 4 verse 4 says, But when the fullness of time was come, when the fullness of time was come, when it was the perfect time for God's plan, God sent forth his son made of a woman made under the law. We know Jesus was born in Bethlehem at a certain time appointed by God. And that's something we need to celebrate. Something we don't need to look over. It's something we need to, to make a big deal about and to, to tell people why we have this season and, and, and who Jesus is and why he came for them. And Jesus came, we understand this morning, for you and me. And he's coming to this world. It needs to be pointed out. It needs to be talked about. It needs to be preached about. Because he came to redeem us from our sin. He came at the perfect time. But it wasn't permanent. If we look here, it says, and it came to pass when the time was come that he should be received up. Jesus came here to this world for 33 years, but there was going to be a time where he would be taken back up to heaven, where he would leave this world. God predetermined all that was going to happen with Jesus. 
So as Jesus is passing through this village of Samaria this day, Jesus was looking to do much more than just stop here in Samaria. He was looking more than even just going to Jerusalem. He was looking ahead to the death, burial, and resurrection that had been prophesied. We were just reminded a couple weeks ago there in verse 44 what Jesus told his disciples. He said, let these sayings sink down into your ears for the Son of Man shall be delivered into the hands of men. Who's going to be received. Barnes said that term received up literally means a removal from a lower place to a higher place. And as we look at this text, Jesus knew it was a, a soon time where he would ascend to heaven. And his, his appointed time on earth, the specific season on earth was about to be over. And as this time had come, we see a certain attitude in Jesus, don't we? Steadfastly headed to Jerusalem. Jesus had already determined in his heart what he was going to do and where he was going to do it. As Jesus was heading through Samaria on his way to Jerusalem, he knew full well what was ahead of him. All of us are regular church attenders today. You understand this morning all that Jesus went through for you. Jesus was eventually going to face a certain betrayal by those that were close to him and an unjust trial, a, a mockery, the crown of thorns, the spitting, the nails, the spear. Jesus understood all of those things. All those things were acknowledged in his mind. He knew exactly what he was going to have to do. But as he understood everything he was going to have to do for the souls of man, he didn't flinch for a moment in this journey. He, he was determined, his heart was set on paying a price for us, and his heart was set on being our redemption and going even to the prison of the grave to settle a debt that he didn't have to settle for himself but for others. He did it for us. Hebrews chapter 12 says, for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. He was determined to accomplish his purpose. The attitude of Jesus is something we need to adopt in our life, isn't it? Everything that you accomplish in this life begins with an attitude. Everything we accomplish in this life begins with a determination. Is the Christian life easy? No. Is it needed? Is it commanded? Yes. It's the attitude of Jesus. Then we see the place to go to Jerusalem. The season of life and this, the ministry of Jesus, the life of Jesus began in Bethlehem. The Bible says in Micah, it was prophesied, but thou Bethlehem Ephrata, that thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel. It was prophesied, he, he, what, his family wasn't from there, but it was prophesied that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. And we praise God that that prophecy was fulfilled. But every step of Jesus' ministry was planned. And we see him in Bethlehem, we see him later in Egypt, we see him growing up in Nazareth, we find him at the River Jordan being baptized, we see his Galilean ministry, we see his work in Judea, his ministry in Galilee, we see the, him heading towards Jerusalem in this passage through Samaria eventually ending in Jerusalem. As we look at the life of Jesus, there were occasional stops. There were moments when he would focus on a certain individual or a certain region or a certain people. There were many different tasks and many different things he did, but the main goal was for him to end at Jerusalem. It was prophesied and it was 
being fulfilled as we read here in Luke chapter 9. Jesus had a job to do and he was going to accomplish that purpose. So we see first of all this morning the determination of Jesus. Secondly, the opposition of the Samaritans. So Jesus was headed to Jerusalem, but to get to Jerusalem he had to pass through Samaria and he was met with opposition from a certain village that we read about here. Jesus sent messengers out ahead of his journey, but they chose not to receive his messengers. They were denied in their quest to to try to help Jesus and to have things ready for him. And we use it as a reminder this morning that everyone who does who does work for Jesus will be denied from time to time. We see the refusal to help this morning as he looked there in verse 52 and sent messengers before his face and they went and entered into a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. And they did not receive him. The disciples were sent to prepare and they were most likely just looking for a place for him to stay for the night as it would take a few days to pass through Samaria to get to Jerusalem. Just a pit stop on the journey. It was about a year ago, I think a year ago this Sunday that we preached uh, beginning in the, here in the book of Luke on John the Baptist and him coming to this world. And as we, as we look at what, why John the Baptist came, he came to prepare the way of the Lord as, as the, 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 the workers, the servants would go out before the king on a journey to make the path straight, to level out the road, to make everything ready for his arrival. And that's what the disciples were doing for Jesus in that village, getting everything prepared. As we understand Samaria this morning, most Jews would not even bother trying to go in the town. Because Samaritans were despised by, by most Jews, and because of the way most Jews treated Samaritans, when a, when a Samaritan would see a Jew coming, they wanted nothing to do with them. The Jews looked at the Samaritans as compromisers in their worship. They're on Mount Jezerim is where the Samaritans would, would worship. And many Jews would even go around Samaria, even though it would take just a few days to get through. They'd go around, add days to their journey, just so they couldn't, didn't have to be close to them. But throughout Jesus' ministry, we find him setting the example and refusing not to operate that way or allow anyone else with him to do that either. The Bible's told us many, many times that we should expect tribulation, expect opposition. As Jesus sent his disciples out, we we saw him say, if they deny you, if they treat you wrongly, sweep, sweep the dust off your feet and head to the next one. Expect opposition. As this opposition came, we see the disciples not taking it well. We see the disciples' anger. They didn't respond well to the lack of hospitality. So they look to Jesus there in verse 54, it says, And when his, disciples, when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, wilt thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them, even as Elias did? It's pretty comical as we read it. They were looking for a place to stay with Jesus, and they were denied that, so they went back to Jesus. They didn't like the way they were treated, and they said, Jesus, why don't you just do what Elijah did, wipe them out, teach them a lesson. They remember what Elijah did. If you were to look in 2 Kings chapter 1, we're not going to go there for time's sake, but, but Elijah faced some opposition. There was a group of 50 and their leader, and, and, and they were there, and he went up to him, and the king had commanded something of them, and, and Elijah answered and said, he said, if I be a man of God, then let fire come down from heaven and consume thee and thy 50. And fire came down from heaven and consumed 50 people. 
Then the next leader came with his 50, told him the same thing. Elijah said, if I be a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume the 50. And the next 50 were dead. And then as we get to 2 Kings chapter 1, verse 13, the third leader of the group of 50 came and says, the third captain of 50 went up and came and fell on his knees before Elijah and besought him and said unto him, O man of God, I pray thee, let my life and the life of these 50 thy servants be precious in thy sight. There was a change of heart. Elijah took care of business, didn't he? They submitted. James and John, being the Jews they, they were, they knew that scripture and they said, Jesus, why don't you just do the same thing in this village? Take out the people that hurt our feelings. Take them out, and if you need to take out a few more in the process, do that, but somebody's going to give us a place to stay if we keep calling down fire from heaven. You know, James and John, Jesus called them the sons of thunder. They had a little bit of spunkiness about them, and these sons of thunder wanted to be called evidently the sons of thunder and lightning, wanting Jesus to bring fire down from the sky. Because they deserve it. Maybe so. But what the disciples weren't realizing at this moment was that they deserved punishment too, didn't they? The Sumerians needed Jesus. The disciples needed Jesus. They were all sinners. That's why Jesus came, right? Came to seek and to save that which was what? Lost. No doubt the disciples were hurt and offended by the rejection. If we're ever rejected, we'll feel that same hurt from time to time. We'll, we'll face a certain feeling of depression or an upset attitude or hurt feelings when we are rejected or opposed in serving our God. That's a natural feeling for any of us to feel. But let's remember this morning that and not respond to the world in that way. I tell you today, the world is not your enemy. People this morning that may oppose you as you look to, to please God or people that may oppose you or, or hurt your feelings or talk, talk a certain way about you that may upset you or make you un, uncomfortable because you profess to be a Christian, they're not your enemy. The devil is your enemy. If we were to look in Ephesians chapter 6, we are told in the Bible that there's a real war going on behind the scenes at every moment of every day. And in order for us to be able to survive in that real war, the Bible says put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Insults may come, tribulations may come, uh, persecution may come, but as we have the armor on and as we are ready for the battle, we can make it through. Your real enemies are not people that offend you or people that believe differently than you. Your real enemy is spiritual. Ephesians chapter 6 says principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in high places, that's the enemy. Your human enemy is actually prisoner of your real enemy. Book of 2 Timothy says people have been taken captive by the devil at his will. So your real enemy is also the enemy, they don't know it, of your earthly enemy. Understand the reason anyone may deny Christ or any, any reason they may uh, oppose you and your beliefs to the Bible is because of nothing other than sin. They deserve, you deserve the same punishment that they deserve. The only difference is you have Jesus. So don't go after them. 
Don't, don't get on your computer or on your phone and start to attack these people that may oppose what you believe. Don't render evil for evil, but overcome evil with good. And as his disciples looked at Jesus and said, Jesus, we just burn them up, bring fire from heaven, consume them, make them, wipe them off the face of this earth. That'll teach them. We'll have a place to stay. Jesus looked at them in verse 55. It says, but he turned and rebuked them. He said, you know what manner of spirit you're of. He, he, he pretty much pointed the finger at them and told them they were wrong. And he reprimanded them. He, he charged them. He corrected them for their wrong spirit. If all we had from Jesus was what we've already looked at in the book of Luke on Sunday mornings, we have enough to understand that that was not the right response from the disciples. We can go back early this summer and look at Luke chapter 6. As you looked in the Beatitudes, and Jesus was speaking of certain enemies that may come, and what did he tell them to do? Love your enemies. Don't just love them. Speak kindly of them. Do good for them, forgive them, pray for them. I was kind of looking at those five categories this week. I, I can't really fit calling fire down from heaven into any one of those, can you? That's what Jesus taught them. I don't think the disciples had forgotten this, but in their, the emotion of it all and the feelings and then seeing Jesus denied it, they just wanted them to learn a lesson, but Jesus taught them to love them and speak kindly, do good, forgive, pray for them. But that's easier said than done, isn't it? Often we may turn on the TV or pick up our phone or have a conversation with somebody that may really ruffle our feathers. And often, rightly so, we get upset, uncomfortable hearing the way people may talk about God or use his name in vain or try to twist the Bible to say something that it doesn't. It's easy for us as we hear those things to adopt a critical spirit or a hateful spirit towards people that may disagree. We know we shouldn't be hateful, but we fail in speaking the truth in love often when emotion takes over. I think we're all guilty of that. As I looked at this, you know what I was encouraged by? Sometimes I may struggle with pride or may fail to speak kindly to somebody. Sometimes I may have had a wrong spirit or attitude towards people that may not believe like me or, or think like me, may not want to please God with their life. It may, we, we may have certain emotions that may come into us, but if we struggle with those things, look at these two men that wanted God to bring fire from heaven and consume them, James and John. James went on to give up his life as a martyr. John, the other brother, one of the sons of thunder that wanted God to bring down lightning was the, the apostle of love, the beloved disciple. If the grace of God could, it, it could change those men, I think there's hope for me. If God in his grace could bring them to a change in their life to be different than they were at this moment, there's, there's hope for you this morning. May we be determined today not to respond the same way that they did. So see the determination of Jesus. He knew what he had to do. He knew his purpose was to get to Jerusalem and, and to get to the place where he would eventually die for the sins of all mankind. Then we see the response of the Samaritans. 
Lastly today, let's see the purpose of Jesus. Verse 56, after Jesus rebuked them, then he told them his purpose. For the Son of Man has not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. For another time in the Bible, the entire purpose of Jesus is given. As we look at verse 56, he tells us, first of all, what the purpose wasn't. He says, I'm not come to destroy anybody. Jesus didn't come to this world to destroy men. Jesus didn't come to put them to death. We can look in the word of God in in John chapter 12. It says, I am come a light into the world that whosoever believeth in me should not abide in darkness. And if any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not, for I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. Jesus himself did not come, the Bible says in John chapter 3, to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He didn't come to destroy anybody. He came to give life to everybody. Over in Acts, it's written there in Acts chapter 10, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they hanged on a tree. Jesus knew what they were going to do to him. The Messiah coming to this world, the Messiah that was going to bring life to all, did it for people he knew were going to kill him. That were going to reject him. That weren't going to have a place for him to sleep. But he was determined to accomplish his purpose. He didn't come to conquer. He didn't come to destroy. He came to bring life. So you know what his purpose wasn't? His purpose was to save them. To rescue from danger. In a couple of different ways. First of all, physically. Jesus didn't just come and, and save souls. Jesus saved lives. And if you're here this morning and you're saved, there's much more that Jesus can do for you than just get you to heaven. Much more. The Bible speaks of life more abundantly. The Bible speaks of joy and a, a peace of God in the, in the heart. There's so many things that God can, can do for you. An old preacher said this. Listen to this. As we look at Jesus, Jesus is hungry but feeds others. He grows weary but offers others rest. He's the king Messiah but pays tribute. He's called the devil but cast out demons. He dies the death of a sinner but comes to save people from their sins. He is sold for 30 pieces of silver but gives his life a ransom for many. He will not turn stones to bread for himself but gives his own body as bread for his people. Jesus came to change lives. Not just change them physically but spiritually. He healed people. He helped them overcome pain and he got rid of diseases but he came to save them from a spiritual disease called sin. That was his purpose. The Bible says in John chapter 3, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, should not get what they deserve, but have everlasting life. To save them. Jesus was determined to do his purpose. Are we? First of all, what is our purpose as a church? You know, many modern churches, 
have a consumer mentality. And they operate as a church to have a certain way where attenders think that church exists to meet people's needs. I sincerely hope that everybody that walks through these doors is going to be helped. That's what I want. As church members, we, we should desire for people to come in here and be helped, but the church isn't about me. It's not about you. The number one reason that the church exists is to bring honor to Christ. Hebrews chapter 10 says, let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together, but as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. We are to bring glory to God by helping others bring glory to God. Our purpose as a church is to glorify God by making disciples of all people groups and multiply so believers worship God, win unbelievers to Christ, and become more like Christ. That's what we should do as a church. And everything that we do as a church, every way we operate should be with that goal in mind. Jesus knew why he came to this world and there was nothing that was going to stop him from living for that purpose. Jesus was headed to Jerusalem. It was somewhat uh, unexpected, obviously, for the disciples on the way that they reacted, but it was not convenient for him to be denied in Samaria. Angry Samaritans were not going to stop him from going to Jerusalem. The deception of those people that were close to him were not going to stop him from continuing to minister. Not even the cross would stop him from accomplishing what he needed to accomplish. As I thought about that yesterday, what do we let stop us from accomplishing our purpose? It's a lot less than what I just talked about, isn't it? Certain opposition, people that may not be on your side or may not be encouraging you to do right. Sin often keeps us from accomplishing our purpose. Temptations, certain addictions. What about just weariness? Tired. Health. Some bad things nobody wants that can stop us. What about some good things? What about pleasure? Does that ever stop you from accomplishing your purpose? Activities. Family. So you're against family? No. <laughs> But we're told not too far after this that we are to love God more than family. And the priority of our family should be centered around pleasing God. Does comfort ever get in the way of our purpose? Now, Jesus was fully committed to the task. He was committed in every aspect and beyond what he expects us to be committed in. And he denied himself to the end. Are you living for your right purpose? Psalm 34 says, Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Revelation chapter 4 says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. In the pew this morning, you're the creation of God. And your purpose as God's creation is to bring glory to him. Jesus knew why he came to this earth 
It was to save all men, women, boys, and girls. That was his purpose, and he was going to accomplish it. We all need purpose, as I spoke about at the beginning of the message this morning. Took a few days with the family around Thanksgiving this week, and watching football the other day, as any American should have been doing on Thanksgiving, and my boys looked to me on, during the game, and they said, Dad, who are the best coaches ever? It's a tough question that needs a, a correct answer. And so I sat there for a second, and I didn't want to give anybody the title of one of the best coaches ever without making sure that I had this group collected to be a certain way. And, you know, one that came to my mind was, was Tom Landry. I don't know if anybody would agree with me on that. He's, his, history shows that he's one of the best. Another one that the boys brought up, that being a Colts fan that I hate to even say, is Bill Belichick. Possibly he is. It looks like Brady was the only reason he won, well, but who knows. Another one, as I thought to college, would have been Nick Saban. But another name came to mind, Bear Bryant. Bear Bryant often told reporters, I'd croak in a month if I quit coaching. For 25 years, he coached at Alabama, and he announced that he'd be stepping down in 1982 at the end of the season. And he finished his last game on December 29th, 1982, in a bowl game against Illinois. And on January 26, less than a month later, he died of a massive heart attack. He lost his purpose. Every person needs a reason to live. Everybody needs a purpose. You know, imagine people, and maybe someone's worked in an environment like this, but imagine people going to work day after day after day without knowing their company's purpose. It wouldn't be productive, would it? Many Christians live that way, though. There's Christians all over our world today that have a purpose, that aren't living for that purpose. An unproductive church is one where its members don't know what their church is trying to do. I want to encourage you, church, we can't forget our aim today. As individuals, we can't forget our purpose today. We need to live for him and obey what he's commanded to do. 1 John chapter 10 verse 31 says, Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the what? Glory of God. You know what that word glory means? To reveal or make clear. You and I were created... And commanded to live for the purpose of showing and revealing God more clearly to others. The way you live should help other people see him more clearly. There should be no higher motivation in your life than to bring glory to God. And if we live with that purpose, there's four things that are going to happen. First thing, you're going to strive for excellence. Because God is excellent and worthy of everything we can give him. So everything we do, do for his glory with excellence. Second thing, you're going to live with integrity. We can't glorify God by sweeping sin under the rug. We can't glorify God for living one way outside the church and another way in church. We can't glorify God by holding these secret sins in our heart that nobody knows about. You cannot bring glory to God living without integrity. You need to be authentic. 
Uh, the third thing, we'll care about the details. Care about every aspect of everything we do for him. If we're doing something for God's glory, even the things that seem insignificant in ministry or in service to God, we'll give everything we have to. And then if we're going to give glory to God, we are willing, fourth thing, to be opposed or uncomfortable for Christ. John the Baptist, his highest ambition was to give his life for the glory of God. You know what he said? He must increase, I must decrease. When the glory of God becomes your motive, when the glory of God becomes your purpose, it is a joy to give everything you have for him alone. So a few questions today. First one's, are you saved? Jesus' purpose was to save you. That's why he came. And if you're saved, do you know your purpose? What is keeping you going right now? There's a lot of things that people focus on and that we live for that are eventually going to fade away. Jobs, people, possessions, all those things. One thing that will never fade away is our God and his word. That should be our purpose above anything else. Do you know it? And if you know it, are you involved in accomplishing it? Living for purpose. Every head bowed, every eye closed.